0: SIN acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land on which the House of SIN and the studio stand, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. SIN also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Today I'm speaking with Australian business leader Rob Bizani. He's the National Managing Partner of the Enterprise Division at KPMG Australia and was previously the KPMG Victorian Chairman. Partner of corporate finance and national head of mergers and acquisitions. Prior to joining KPMG, Rob worked in investment banking, specialising in cross border divestments and acquisitions, and prior to that, worked as a corporate lawyer. Rob, welcome to An Hour in the Life. It's fantastic to have you on the show today. How are you going?
1: Very well, thanks, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here, and thanks for inviting me on.
0: So, broadly, what do you enjoy about your job?
1: I enjoy the people and the variety that it brings. At KPMG, as you know Charlie, we have over 2,000 people in the office just in Melbourne alone and with that just comes a great variety and diversity of, of thinking, of personalities and of course in the business we're in a lot of different opportunities and so for me it's, uh, it's always great to work with different people on a range of different projects as well.
0: I know you probably don't have an average day but what are some consistent things that you do in your job?
1: Well, first and foremost, it generally starts in the morning uh, where I usually like to have a strong cup of coffee to get <laughs> going. I usually like to have a quick look at all of the news before I get into the office. Uh, my day, there's no real typical day, but it could vary with uh, with client meetings, uh, a number of functions that I might uh, at any particular time host, um, uh, client matters, conference calls, uh, it's a combination of what's going on in the office and what activities or mandates are we working f- with our clients on that generally takes up most of my day.
0: Right. So I think a lot of um, you know managers, associate directors, directors, yeah. partners um, probably would say, oh, they don't have time to read, read the papers with their busy day and. Of course, you have a really hectic, I'm assuming you usually have a quite a hectic day. Why do you place such a priority on reading the papers every single day?
1: I have a series of top 10 tips for success, mm-hmm. Charlie, and uh, they start with things like the little things matter. Uh, and, and end up being quite, quite significant. Uh, it, when it comes to knowing what's going on, uh, and, and for people that have always worked with me, I've always wanted them to, to have been right on top of what's going on in the world, what's mm-hmm. going on in business and in the news by the time they walk into the office in the morning. Um, A, for their own professionalism and, and ability, and, and secondly, uh, I, I believe that if we have identified opportunities or seen things in the newspapers, um, or the media that's of interest to our clients, we've got to get it into our clients' hands by nine o'clock on any morning. Otherwise, our competitors will.
0: Right. Um, what always astounds me um, about successful leaders is the amount of things that they're able to do in their day and their week. How do you do
1: it? Uh, I'm very lucky. Um, uh, it comes down to compartmentalizing a range of different things. So. Um, I'm pretty strict on diary management, so mm-hmm. uh, I generally will look at my diary a year in advance and, and plan out when I'm in Sydney, when I'm in, in Canberra, when I'm in Melbourne, when I'm taking a break, when are family holidays, those sorts of things. And I'd encourage everybody to do that just in terms of filling those 365 days out in, in different chunks. So that, that sort of lays the groundwork. For me. Uh, secondly, I, I also also like to um, just ha- have a few little tips and rules around the way in which I run my diaries. So, if I return from Melbourne l- late one evening, I won't have an early morning breakfast or early morning meeting. I'll just give myself that chance the next day to recover, that type of thing. Right. Um, and I, I generally try and compartmentalise what I'm working on I- into different categories and then different priorities as a way of just trying to manage things and not get too overwhelmed.
0: Hmm. And are you able to switch off from one set of work to another set so that you're able to fully focus your attention on that that task at hand?
1: Well, that's the objective. Uh, The people around me, you probably have to ask how well I do that. (laughs) But I, I think I do do it fairly well. And at times, just little things slip. You know, I try not to be... Um, late for meetings, that's that's a real priority. I try and finish meetings on time, mm-hmm. that's a priority. But I do find that if it, if it does require that extra five or ten minutes to go over, it always works for me. So sometimes you, you do carry things into the next meeting or into the next deal that you're working on. But I often try and leave that behind and just say to myself, I'll get back to it when I need it.
0: Mm. Uh, you've previously said that you're you're passionate about KPMG's role in uh, building corporate Australia. Um, where do you see KPMG's role in the Australian economy?
1: Well, I, I think it's very pervasive in, in terms of what we are a, as an organisation. First and foremost, given our sheer size and spread, you know we're spread through fourteen offices right throughout Australia, both in the capital cities and in and in regional centres. We employ thousands of people of which average age mm-hmm. are people so probably like yourself, Charlie, mm-hmm. you know, twenty-eight, twenty-nine. So so we have we, we have a massive influence in the business community and in the capital markets because that's where our professional mm-hmm. work takes us. We also work with all of the governments mm-hmm. around Australia. So so we're inherently involved in developing policy. But it's outside of those areas where I'm more uh, involved or more passionate about what mm-hmm. we can do uh, we do a lot of pro bono work mm-hmm. a lot of our people sit on not for profit boards you're a perfect example of someone that is a professional in our organisation but spends time developing podcasts and pursuing some things for the benefit of the community as well as for yourself so we we actually make australia a better place and we make us our communities um, and our local society a better place as well just by being involved and trying to give back Uh, and we often talk to our people about the real purpose of being at work. It's not just Mm -hmm. about making money, it is Mm -hmm. about what is the real purpose that brings you to to work every day. What is it that you're trying to achieve?
0: Hmm. What do you feel uh, most people's purpose is at KPMG other than earning a living?
1: I I actually think people want to make a positive contribution to, their, um, to the local market that they're involved with. And I think that is everything from uh, the business marketplace, the, the commercial marketplace that they live in. I think they want to work for a better living, uh, better infrastructure. So if that involves us working with our clients to make better roads, hospitals, schools, I think our people take a lot of passion in that. Uh, and then I think they do see the trickle effect in terms of how they can have a, a real positive influence over uh, social thinking, uh, mm. community, um, and and for people that are disadvantaged. We have a lot of people that roll their sleeves up and get involved in, in communities uh, and donate their time and uh, and their money as well.
0: Hmm. What pro bono work does KPMG do?
1: We do all sorts of different things. We, we provide a range of our services, whether that's uh, audit, tax, advisory, mm. consulting services, to a range of not-for-profit organisations, to smaller organisations um, that can't afford our fees. Mm. Um, we contribute tens of thousands of volunteer hours mm. into the community. Uh, we do a lot of work for, as I've mentioned, not-for-profit, uh, socially responsible organisations, uh, Indigenous organisations, um, a- as well as two or three of the key categories that we're really trying focus on. Uh, Mental health is one of those. Climate change is another. Uh, I mentioned Indigenous affairs as a third. uh, And the fourth is the future of work. We think a lot about how work is changing for the future, and we try and adapt our workforce and our policies to align for that.
0: Hmm. I don't think that I've yet mentioned that I actually work at KPMG as a consultant. And um, I've been there almost two years now. And my experiences that um, generally everyone is really keen on having a positive social impact and I think that just comes back to the sort of people that KPMG is after and I've been astounded by the opportunities Um, there's always a guest speaker say -hmm. from a climate change um, organisation the volunteering opportunities are left right and centre and it's the the corporate conscience goes beyond earning a profit
1: I agree. And I must say what pleases me even more, and I think you are a, a great example of someone that juggles different things, is um, th- these urges and these activities are, aren't forced upon people. Our, mm-hmm. our people, um, f- right from the very beginning when we first meet them from university days or even f- those that come and work for us, uh, w- as, as young graduates, um, have a burning desire to, to get involved in their community. This isn't something we force on people. that They tend to do it themselves and, and do it voluntarily. All we do is try and facilitate uh, a forum for that energy and help them uh, get involved in, in organisations and in areas that they'd like to.
0: Mm. Do you think clients value that?
1: I think clients see it. Uh, I think, at, and at times, certainly in proposals, clients ask for it. They mm. want to know what you're contributing back, uh, what are the extra work activities that your people uh, are involved with. They want to see, at times, an alignment to the things that they're doing, wh- which may well be trying to improve the justice system, the health system, the education system. Um, they naturally see a lot of that urge come from um, highly motivated people.
0: Mm. One way that we get to know our guest on An Hour in the Life is uh, through the music that they pick for us to listen to. Uh, First up, you've picked a Bob Dylan song, Tangled Up in Blue. Why have you selected this one?
1: I was never really a a great Bob Dylan fan when I was young, Uh, and it wasn't until this album came out and someone lent it to me and I listened to it that I just thought that Dylan was a... Uh, just a tremendous storyteller, a mm. uh, fabulous troubadour. And, and at that time, I was at uni um, as well. It's going back a few years, Charlie. But um, just the, the lyrics, the, um, the things that he was singing about in terms of love and freedom and, mm. and travelling and how life comes full circle, that was a very, very powerful song. And it was the opening song of the album, which, which always got me hooked.
0: Wow, Uh, from the album Blood on the Tracks. Blood on
1: the Tracks, that's right. Yeah.
0: All right, here it is, Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan. Early one morning the sun was shining I was laying in bed Wondering if she'd changed at all If her hair was still red Her folks, they set our lives together sure was gonna be rough. They never did like mama's homemade dress. Papa's bank book wasn't big enough. And I was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on my shoes, heading up for the East Coast. Lord knows I paid some that was Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan. You're listening to An Hour in the Life, and today I'm interviewing Rob Bazzani, who was an Australian business leader. Uh, so, Rob, we'll touch on your background. Uh, where were you born?
1: I was born in Melbourne mm-hmm. to immigrant parents, okay. Charlie. Uh, both my parents uh, met in Australia, but were uh, both immigrated from Italy okay. uh, in the 1950s. Uh, so, uh, and... Uh, I have a twin brother, an identical twin brother, hmm. Charlie, so I often get um, get to say hello to people that I've never met before or people oh. come up to me uh, on occasions and say hello. They start talking to me and I, I've never met them. So <laughs> huh. it's been, been an interesting upbringing.
0: Wow. At how old were your parents when they came to Australia?
1: My dad was 24. He was hmm. the oldest son of a family... Of, uh, of women, a uh, mother and, uh, and three sisters, whose father had died in the war. Mm. And uh, and so he came to Australia under a government program where the government would pay your shipping fare, uh, guarantee you a job mm. for two years, but you had to hand your passport in. So yeah. he, he was like tens of thousands of other European men that came to, young men that came to Australia post-World War II. Hmm.
0: Do you think immigrants pick up any morals or ethics from that hardship that they go through?
1: Definitely. It, it absolutely made my father the person he was. At a young age, mm. he had to have responsibility for his family uh, and had to leave a country and, and a continent that was pretty bankrupt. Mm. And uh, But someone had to make money and, and bring that home. So I, I think that sense of responsibility uh, and family stayed with him for his whole life. And, and in fact, To a point where I know he continually sent money back home Mm. for his family uh, over decades.
0: Wow, what do you think are the key things that he taught you or ingrained within you? Uh,
1: He ingrained a strong work ethic. Mm. Uh, He ingrained to me um, very, very strong values around what was right, what was wrong, Um, uh, relationships with women. Mm. Uh, He ingrained uh, very much in me. He was a very straight shooter and a a pretty direct fellow, Um, Mm. and so he. I think he ingrained that skill of listening, but uh, but trying to be transparent, but get your point across. Hmm.
0: And what did he do for work in Australia?
1: Uh, he actually came out here. He was a bit of a jackaroo of all trades hmm. for the first couple of years. Then he uh, went into business um, uh, and opened up some fruit shops, hmm. and uh, and then left those and went into property and property development, those sorts of things. So was always a very, very hard worker uh, and up early. My father was uh, an early riser, which meant y- you were rising pretty early as well.
0: Hmm. So is that another tip for success? No, not really. I think
1: okay. uh, you really work out what works best for you. Are you an early riser? Um, do you prefer to work late in the evening? Those sorts hmm. of things. Um, uh, it, that can just get instilled in you sometimes from your parents. Hmm.
0: Uh, what, was, what were your passions as a child or your interests?
1: Uh, to be honest with you, uh, really just having fun and enjoying mm. my friends. I didn't get too serious about schooling uh, or anything along those lines till I was um, in year 11 at school. I, I was very much into sport. Um, mm. at, at a couple of points, wanted to be you know, either a professional athlete, a cricketer or a skier, but uh, quickly mm. realised that, that the skill and the talent wasn't there. Um, so, really, it was probably just um, uh, play, hanging out with my friends, uh, mm. playing some sport, um, not getting too serious about about being serious.
0: <laughs> uh, and then, when you came towards your later years in school, did you have much direction about what you wanted to do?
1: I got a lot of direction from my father, to be mm. honest with you. Um, I, as, uh, as you may know, I, I went through school and did all of the straight science subjects mm-hmm. which were I always found were a bit of a struggle the physics the chems chemistries and the mathematics those sorts of things um, uh, but uh, be- both my parents had a v- had very little education because they mm-hmm. uh, of their circumstances so they were very very focused on us kids having uh, a pretty strong strong education so we were clearly directed to um, to study to work hard um, and to go on to university. And uh, and I sort of thank both my parents for that.
0: Hmm. And I say on your CV that you studied a Bachelor of Science. Why did you choose hmm. that?
1: Well, I was always doing sciences um, in secondary school, and uh, I think uh, the reality of the fact that I wasn't that good at it didn't set in till I got to university. <laughs> so I actually did a science law degree okay. at university. Um, my father always wanted us to do law, so um, I was able to get into law, uh, but mixed it up at that time. And, and I was actually quite glad I did, because the science part gave me a lot of analytical um, strength uh, in mm. terms of thinking through problems, that type of thing. Um, but I eventually um, finished that degree, was glad it was over, mm. and um, uh, went on and, and started to work as a lawyer many years ago. Mm.
0: Is there any uh, particular major within science that gave you that analytical mindset?
1: Well, I was doing mathematics uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and geology because I was always interested in, in the outdoors. And about that time, I was camping a lot. I was mm-hmm. um, traveling a lot. Um, I was exploring a fair bit. And, and by that, I mean um, you know, camping for a few days out in the sticks. Nice. Um, we'd go prospecting with some friends and oh. things like that. So, so that added a fair variety to the university, but um, no, it was the more of the physics, mathematics, chemistry that really um, produced a, a strong level of analysis in my mind. Hmm. Uh, probably what too strong. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, do where, so? Do you, do you still go camping and and uh, get amongst uh, the outdoors? Uh,
1: not as much as I used to. That again okay. is probably more of a timing thing. I think when my children were uh, younger, we used to, and I certainly used to. Um, for quite a number of years post-university. Um, but I think uh, the greater comforts also started to be sought out. So mm. would I camp or would I uh, rent a cabin? Well, I'd end up renting a, renting mm. a cabin. Yeah. So the greater comforts started to, uh, to overcome me. Hmm.
0: What do you think uh, going, going on holiday and getting away from the city does for you?
1: Uh, it helps me de-stress. Mm. Um, uh, helps me... Really, uh, I think enjoy nature, um, listen, uh, breathe, uh, exercise um, and spend some time with friends in a, in a different environment. Mm. I find that um, with our work, it can be pretty busy and stressful. It generally takes a couple of days just to get off, you know, your telephone and emails and things along those lines. And, and I think just be grateful for the beautiful environment and settings that we have here in Australia.
0: Mm. Are you constantly on your phone? So, for example, on weekends, are you reading and responding to emails?
1: Uh, Constantly is uh, an odd word. Uh, I would be on it regularly. um, And at times I don't want to be, and at times I deliberately leave my phone behind um, Mm -hmm. for hours at end, if I can do that. Uh, And particularly on the weekend, I mean, I do at times boot up my computer at the weekend for a particular thing. Um, but I try and be very disciplined with my phone uh, on the weekend, and not and not really respond. And I don't like responding to emails because uh, on the weekend, because I think it's an intrusion to my work colleagues that themselves mm. uh, are trying to get a break, so they don't need to be getting emails from me.
0: Right. right. So after finishing law at university, um, what what uh, field of law did you go into?
1: I went into. Um, Uh, commercial law. I was actually living overseas after I finished university for a few years and I ended up living in America um, and working for a law firm in California and I did that for a little while and that got me into both entertainment law so I did a lot of work, commercial work in the music industry Mm -hmm. and uh, and, and eventually that just translated into straight commercial work, Mm -hmm. particularly when I returned to Australia where I worked as a lawyer for a couple of years after I got back from the US.
0: Hmm. And how do you find business culture in the US differs to Australia?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. I um, uh, First and foremost, I, I think it's very, very pervasive. Uh, I, I think you live and breathe your job and your mm. role in America. And it's not that we don't here. I, I think we, we, we certainly get involved with our work, but it, it seems to be Overwhelming, and it certainly defines you very much I- in the U.S. And mm. um, I, I think the work environment for the average employee is tougher in the U.S. than it is here in Australia. My instincts and experience seem to indicate that um, uh, employees seem to have, um, I think, a better handle on what they're doing, and m- maybe even a few more rights. Um, than they seem to have in the US. Mm. I think the average employee has a tougher time in the US than, than we do here in Australia.
0: Hmm. And I guess on top of that, um, most young people entering the workforce have a ton of student debt. And uh, I, well, I think over there you, you charge interest on top of it as well, whereas here yeah, it's,
1: it's interest-free.
0: So how did you go from a commercial lawyer to an investment banker?
1: Uh, Good question. Uh, Well, law wasn't really for me. Um, After three or four years of doing that here in Australia, I realised I needed a change. I found it a bit too limiting, even though I have a number of cousins and my brother's a lawyer as well. Um, I went and did an MBA. Um, Mm -hmm. I realised I really needed to change uh, careers. I hadn't had enough um, analytics or um, financial training, even though um, I had had done a science degree in the past but just in terms of balance sheets and P&Ls and cash flow statements and those sorts of things plus I hadn't done much strategy so I thought Mm -hmm. that at the time the best course to do was to go off and do an MBA so I went and did an MBA for the explicit purpose to be honest with you of making a career change whether that was going to be into banking or into into the corporate Mm -hmm. world I wasn't quite sure but I knew I needed to make a change.
0: Hmm. Someone that's in a very senior leadership position in a large, no- notable organisation. Which area of business knowledge is most valuable? Whether, you know, strategy, financials, what, what do you believe?
1: You know, uh, I I would make it very simple. Uh, I think um, uh, the, the strategy of reading people or the ability to get along with people and having something to say is number one. So when you asked mm-hmm. me earlier, why do I read the newspapers in the morning? It's just so um, I've got general knowledge mm-hmm. to hold a conversation uh, around a range of topics with, with any particular client or, or any particular associate um, as required. I think in terms of where what path you go down and what course you need to take a little bit later, th- that can be something that you can develop. But, but fundamentally, in our business, um, I think skill number one is a skill to be able to get on with people and and listen to people and have an opinion or or a comment when you are asked to give an opinion about a particular matter. Hmm. So just general good general knowledge, I think, is is essential.
0: Hmm. Hmm. And what sort of hours were you doing when you were working investment banking?
1: Look, they they weren't they weren't any greater or. Or worse than what I would be doing now. Okay. But probably the difference was at times I, I could be away from home for a few weeks and that mm-hmm. that was difficult when I had young children um, and my wife and I used to talk about that uh, in terms of adjusting and, and what that would mean so we we're pretty transparent about that. Um, I, I find in the role I'm in at the moment, Charlie, if I have to travel particularly overseas I try not to be away for more than a week. Mm-hmm. Um, back then if I was away I could have been away for two to three weeks and as I said earlier, I had some young children, and that always uh, created a fair bit of tension at home.
0: And hmm. um, did you move to KPMG to give yourself a better work-life balance?
1: Um, yes and no. Uh, I, I, there were a range of circumstances in the organisation that I was with at the time. We were being taken over by another investment bank. I thought it was a great opportunity to re-look at, uh, at my career. Um. I knew someone at KPMG that was looking for someone with my skill set, mm-hmm. and, and in conversation with my family, you know, we, we decided to give it a try. Uh, to be frank with you, I wasn't going to stay more than a year or two. Um, I was just really looking hmm. for a change. Oh. Um, but I enjoyed it from the moment I got there. Uh, I, the people were fantastic. The work was very much along the lines of what I was doing. And, and, and I think actually the work-life balance did end up uh, being a lot better Um, And I think, like anything, if you have a bit of luck and a bit of success in a new organisation when you go there, um, things start to work out pretty well for you. The next thing you know, a couple of years have gone by and you're pretty settled doing what Hmm. you're doing. Hmm.
0: The the majority of onboarded senior positions, um, do they occur mostly through uh, connections rather than going out to the market?
1: Um, Look, some do. Uh, I I think generally... um, Depending on the role and what you're looking for, they are either uh, driven by network or by opportunity uh, or by headhunter. And at times it's a combination of both. Someone you know who knows someone that's looking for a particular role. Uh, but I do find that if you are specific around what you're looking for or what you'd like to do in your career, you've got to basically get some assistance to do that or be very proactive in finding a role. in the main. Uh, roles, uh, specific roles, leadership roles, come from headhunters, in my Mm -hmm. view.
0: And then, what was the difference between serving clients at an investment bank versus serving clients at a large, uh, big four accounting firm?
1: I think the variety. I, I think at the investment bank, we were dealing with a lot more public company matters and transactions. Um, In a big professional services firm, we're dealing with that as well, but we're also dealing with the day-to-day operator that owns a large business, is private, um, or could be a subsidiary of a global organisation. Uh, And then I think at a professional services firm like KPMG, the the sheer size of the client base and the, Mm. the sheer number of opportunities that are either walking in the door or the matters that you're working on Um, uh, uh, by volume uh, uh, and and at times value are just so much greater. And as you would know, we always tend to work in teams Mm -hmm. at KPMG, so um, at any one time you could be working on three or four different things as well as hearing about three or four different things that your work colleagues are also working on. So there's always a lot uh, of interesting work going on around you.
0: Hmm. And then when you're serving... um when you're an investment bank, is it usually just one person managing those funds?
1: Um, generally, it's a team working. Again, I was in a corporate finance uh, mergers and acquisitions role. A- a- again, it's it's a team, um, but you probably don't have as many matters coming at you at the same time as you do at KPMG. We, we have a, a fair volume of things happening at KPMG. A- and I think it, certainly at KPMG, we tend to give people client facing experience uh, a lot earlier you know you could be an analyst or a, an assistant manager in the team coming along to client meetings and 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 at times contributing to those matters rather than being behind it, left behind in the office working on a powerpoint document mm-hmm. or a spreadsheet or something like that
0: correct me if i'm wrong but within 10 years of you working at kpmg you went from a more junior partner to one of the most senior partners in the country um I'm assuming this involved being heavily, heavily client-focused to moving a bit away from that to focus more on um, organisational strategy and corporate governance. Um, how did you find this transition?
1: Look, it, it just doesn't happen overnight. It, it happened mm. quite slowly. So, yes, I had a, I've had had a great run at KPMG, and the, the reason for that is a can-do attitude or a yes, I'd like to get involved with that attitude. So, uh, And that helped me from, from the very beginning, just in terms of being involved in, in a number of client matters and working with mm. some really great, more senior partners uh, than myself at the time. So I was very lucky to have a, a lot of great teachers or mentors uh, uh, along the way. Uh, but but also, I think at an organisation like ours, as, as you work on client matters and, and over the years, you get... Um, greater responsibility I generally talk about the number of balls you can juggle you know you go from juggling two balls and then someone asks you to do something else and then someone asks you to look after a a and l or run a business Mm -hmm. the next thing you know you're doing that Um, uh, and then as time goes on and and you manage those things well by managing your time well um, people seem to ask you to do a few other things Mm -hmm. so it, it builds up slowly and slowly but surely but uh, but not uniquely for me I I think for any person at at KPMG that's building a career we're always looking to see um, uh, how does that person juggle that first ball and then the second and the third and several years later, can you run a a business for us, can you run a bigger business can you become a state chairman can you become a a, a leader of one of our large um, divisions Um, those things happen slowly but surely.
0: So uh, highly effective leader never stops juggling that first ball
1: I uh, well, you, you could drop, <laughs> you could drop it a few times and pick it up <laughs> um, but generally um, you, you're able to do it and I'll, and I'll give you an example you know it may well be you join us and, and, and you're working well on a particular project um, for a year or two then, then you're asked to supervise two or three people and, and, and work on a few other things Th- then you're asked to supervise the team you get promoted uh, you're an associate director. You're doing some business development. You're executing. You're working with three or four people. Clients like you. Um, it, it's that type of journey and path that that you go on. The next thing you know, you're the, a, a director in the division. Um, a few years later, you might even be running the division with a large team. So so you grow into it as you mature, uh, and you know you make mistakes, of course, um, mm-hmm. but uh, but you hope you make more right decisions than wrong decisions, and. Uh, and at KPMG, we always try and reach out and, uh, we you know, we, we have an open performance framework mm. where we try and give people regular feedback and, and constructively challenge uh, and help people develop. We're all about helping people get the best out of themselves. Uh, th- mm. That's, you know, we don't talk about that that much, but fundamentally that's what we're really about, trying to help our 7,000 people mm. get the absolute best out of themselves and, um, so that consequently we can um, have a have a fabulous business, which is what we've got.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I I have to say it's I'm very honoured and um, feel really valued to be part of such a great organisation, and I wholeheartedly agree with um, your statement that they, that the company really invests in their people and gets the best out of them.
1: Glad to hear that.
0: Are you still heavily involved in sales?
1: Uh yes, not as much as I used to be. Um, and I'll probably spend a bit more time on that, f- focusing on that in the next 12 months. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you mentioned earlier in the intro I was the Victorian chairman uh, for several years, so that really uh, required me to be uh, seeing clients regularly, uh, mm-hmm. out in front of clients and, and bringing work in the door, which I, I must say uh, I, I've never really struggled to do. It's mm. very lucky uh, I've been able to always just get on with people and, and try and originate work so um, we always have that um, uh, need i think in the business no matter who you are or what role you're in to be advocating for kpmg in front of kpmg and just looking for opportunity anyway Um, and, and that can sometimes be daunting for people because they wonder whether they've got a network or whether they can do business development, but uh, as I say to everyone, uh, everyone's got a network. You've got one, Mm. Charlie, from from the people here uh, in Mm. the studio to your friends at KPMG to your school friends, friends from university, et cetera, who will also work into business, et cetera. So um, I look at originating work and developing work as being um, out talking to your networks, trying to come up with Mm. ideas, um, and basically going out and door knocking. Hmm.
0: What do you think was your competitive advantage when you won work over competitors?
1: Uh, very good question. It was a couple of things. I think it was um, uh, trust. Uh, I think clients believed when we said we could assist and how and in what way, uh, they believed that. Um, so I think there's got to be a, a level of genuineness when you put yourself in front of a client to be able to say that you truly believe that you can assist them, and these these are the, the ways in which you can. And then mm. secondly, having a good team around you that can deliver. And and in my case, I was nothing without the team. I've always had a fantastic group of uh, of people around me. Mm. Um, many of them much stronger technically than me uh, in many different areas. Um, but the team was always able to work more effectively than the individual. And we often talked about that. We can always do so much more working as a team than we can as a collective of individuals.
0: Hmm. In your experience, have you delivered more sales from that initial sale or from on-selling existing work?
1: Mm, Probably on-selling existing work um, Mm. because I think once you do a good job, you can always reach out to a particular client for a testimonial Um, ours is also a confidence business so uh, and it's a terrible business to be in if you're not busy you know the days are Mm. long you're sitting at your desk wondering when the next piece of work is coming in or the transaction that doesn't happen very often Mm. it doesn't happen to our people too much but it is a confidence game and and what you'll find is if you do a good job um, and clients speak well of you your confidence is up and you're then prepared to go and have that other meeting that you've been putting off or you're picking up the telephone to make the phone call that you've you know you haven't really had the courage to make those those are the sorts of things that impact us
0: hmm. so <clears throat> when the first time I met you in person it was at the KPMG social ball and I, I asked you um what what's the key pieces of advice you'd give to someone starting out their career at KPMG and the first thing you said was um Build your network, and uh, on top of that, you said also try and get to Sydney as much as possible. Um, could you explain why a network is so important, um, no matter what your job or lifestyle is?
1: Yeah, I can, um, and I, I say that just because no matter how talented you are, when you go to work for a big organisation, you're in a big organisation. You know, you're one of two thousand people in Melbourne or seven thousand people uh, around Australia, and um, and uh, what you can help yourself in in that no no doubt you're you're a smart person uh by being by being there and 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 by already having that role Uh, but then how do you accelerate your career how do you help yourself uh, identify the path you want to go down and and one way to do that is to get around Uh, and one way to do that is Focus on your work, of course, and working in your teams, Mm. but but get around, Uh, and what do I mean by that? I mean, let other people get to know the Rob Bazzani or the Charlie Bells of this world. Um, So you don't just isolate yourself to your team or your your immediate working group, um, but you get involved in some of the social activities of the office. Um, You get to know some of the the movers and shakers in in the business. Uh, Sometimes you go up and introduce yourself to our senior partners, they're just mm. normal people, just like you or I. And uh, and at times you might say, um, I hear you're involved with the arts or in the community, I'm involved with that as well. If there's any special project that you'd like to be involved with, can I assist? Um, they're the sorts of little things that get you noticed and bring opportunity to you um, that may otherwise not come. So mm. that, that was my rationale for the first few years around um, coming to a large organisation like ours. And then the, the comment about mm. Sydney, certainly one as you develop your career, um, is, you know, it's a massive marketplace um, in, in Australia. It's the biggest marketplace in Australia. Uh, and, in fact, you know, 70% of GDP comes out of the east coast of Australia and, and the labour force. So I find that if you are working in Melbourne or in any other location where your work doesn't bring you to Sydney... Then it's important that you try and get there mm. uh, to build a network, and at least to understand that marketplace and understand your fellow, and get to meet some of your fellow team members or workers in Sydney. Just because it's such a pervasive market, and it will always come and go in your career one way or another, given the size of that marketplace.
0: Hmm. I think a lot of young people, when they first start out, they're usually quite shy and uh, find it difficult to to build that network initially, but. Yeah. In my experience, everyone is willing to help, and yep. it's it's definitely, as you mentioned, a highly important skill to be able to build that network and reach out to people um, yep. Yeah, really as often as possible. Um, how, how do you u- utilize a network?
1: That's a really good question, and, and I accept what you say about everybody is different. Some people are quiet, some are loud, some are shy, that type of thing. Uh, the point I'd make is, it's it's not a, a sprint, okay. Uh, everyone is running an ultra marathon, and sometimes mm. you don't even know you're running it, <laughs> but but you really are. Whether you're in your 20s or your 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond, you know it's a long career uh, and a long life, so it doesn't need to be immediate. Um, but you know what I would say to that, that first year person is, um, you know, you know your priority is your work and your team. Understand mm. that's pretty simple. That's your priority. Um, but then there's so much more around you um, uh, uh, that you can get involved within an organisation like ours. We do a lot of things socially. We have a corporate citizenship community. We do things in the Indigenous community as well. It's a matter of just finding the things that work for you, um, that mm. you're interested in, um, and getting a little bit involved in that. Um, it doesn't mean that you need to know everyone in the office and build a network, but you um, but you will benefit by getting around and introducing yourself to people. So I uh, I say it doesn't have to be a, uh, a diligent, hard-run, day-to-day thing that's at the back of your mind all the time. Hmm. But it, it could be something that y- you slowly build uh, as you build your career over the first few years of your career.
0: Hmm. Uh, just before you mention that you you literally, well, not maybe not literally, but you do go door-knocking, Um so what do you do? You just reach out to people on LinkedIn? Or?
1: Oh, no. Well, sometimes on, on LinkedIn. Or, or we might have, you know, completed a transaction in a particular sector. Let's just say we've done um, a, a transaction where we've advised a client uh, in the printing business. Um, uh, that is still, depending on, on the part of that industry you're in, it can still be very profitable. Um, you've got a lot of IP I- in that area, whether it's it's printing or media, etc. Mm-hmm. So what you'll do is, um, you know, you might uh, you might then identify another half a dozen companies that face similar issues, uh, pick up the telephone, uh, ask to meet the managing director, mm-hmm. and, and go and have a chat about what you've just achieved for a particular client. Uh, try and understand their needs and their objectives, a- and put forward some ideas or solutions for them to think about. Um, You might find that you're in a transaction or you're working on a matter where there are another half a dozen counterparties. That matter comes to an end, and when it comes to an end, you decide to go out and meet those other half a dozen counterparties and see Mm. how you might be able to be of assistance to them. Um, So different things flow out of different opportunities, and and that's really what we're we're all about, just trying to be proactive in in looking at the opportunities that might be out there.
0: Mm. What do you think a strong and healthy client relationship looks like?
1: Um, I think it's one where uh, first and foremost you understand the client's needs and objectives and what they're really trying to achieve. Um, Mm. Secondly, uh, you build a level of trust uh, with that client uh, around you as an individual in terms of the way in which you act and behave and your technical capability. Um, first and foremost, and then secondly, uh, you build a level of trust around you say, you know, you do what you say. Hmm. So, you know, if something's going to have to be done by a certain time um, and in a certain way, it's going to get there. And if that means you have to work on the weekend or, or have a late night or two to do that, that that's what you're going. Going to do so, mm. and yeah, um, you know it's a very very competitive world out there, and um, it's at, at any one time it's hard to think there's any one organisation that only uses one advisor. I don't know of any organisation mm. that does that. So so I think it's a matter of you know you've got to you've got to deliver what you say you're going to do. You've got to be available for conversations when the client needs to speak to you, and um, and then you've got to back it up with a continued building of the relationship and the skill set.
0: How does your personal life complement your business
1: activities? Uh, I'm very, very lucky. Uh, I've been blessed with a fabulous personal life, so I've hmm. got a very understanding uh, wife, Mm -hmm. um, same wife, wife number one, (laughs) um, and I'm celebrating 30 years with her shortly, so thank you. (laughs) It's it's quite a marathon. It's an (laughs) ultra-marathon, as I said, but she's great, and... um, uh, and, I, and I've got uh, uh, children that um, that have always understood the sort of the balance between family and um, and work and we've always tried to m- make that blend I think uh, what what might work for one person may not work for another but for me mixing work and family life has always been a blend so it mm-hmm. hasn't been a switch on and a switch off so some of my client a number of our clients have become great friends mm-hmm. uh, we've holidayed with them um, Uh, but i've got a very very understanding family and at the same time it's because we've we've actually sat down on many occasions and talked about um, who's doing what uh, who's Mm -hmm. contributing what to the family and and why and what are the roles we all have so that everybody's pretty clear about that i've also tried at times to always involve my family where i can with with work matters Mm -hmm. so if i've got clients in town Uh, and we're having dinner, I'll ask my wife to come along um, and and make sure the clients are comfortable with that. Um, I have clients over for dinner at night. um, So clients would know my children at times. Not all of them, Mm. but some. So it's just been a way in which we've been able to sometimes take some pressure out of the steam cooker um, Mm. and also just let the family understand where I spend 12 hours a day. I have Mm. my kids come into the office. We do family days, you know. Mm. And I think that's really critical. I think it's very important that your family understands where you are and what you're doing and, and can actually come in and see it and, and maybe even meet your clients as well. I think it, it actually creates a, a real balance at times.
0: Hmm. What are the benefits and challenges of having a friendship with a client?
1: Well, the benefit is that, um, you know, and, and it's not a forced friendship. So mm. if it's happening, it's just happening. Um, right. the, the benefit can, can be conflict. The, the mm. benefit can be, when is this a friendship and when is it a professional relationship that I have to deliver? And then there's also the extra stress um, of, what if we don't deliver as expected? What does that do to my right. friendship relationship? Mm. A- and at times, and as I said, it doesn't happen all the time. At times, I've got um, a, a number of very um, experienced, wealthy friends that aren't clients, and um And that doesn't bother me either because Hmm. I don't necessarily want that strong personal relationship um, affected by a commercial relationship with them
0: as well. So you'll make an effort not to... to, I'll make an effort
1: not to to sell too strongly to them.
0: All right. Uh, So we should jump to our next song. We are running out of time. Uh, The conversation's been... Too ruining. <laughs>
1: um, well, you're, you're too easy to talk to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. Um, so up next we've got Power by Kanye West. Yeah. Why did you choose this one?
1: Well, um, I think Kanye um, is a phenomenal entertainer and um, uh, th- this was one I think my sons put me onto Kanye and uh, they downloaded a whole range of music and I just found some of the lyrics and, uh, and the track itself to be phenomenally powerful mm. um, and, um, and pervasive. And then I just found um, some of his music just to be addictive. So uh, this was one that um, I would listen to, believe it or not, when I was training at the gym, mm. that type of thing. And it was one that would just get get the heartbeat going and the blood pressure up. And, uh, and I just found it very vi- vibrant, as, I, as was the whole album. So great. that's what it was, yeah.
0: Well, there you go. There's Rob's tip if you need a great workout song. Power by Kanye West. Here it is.
1: I'm living in that 21st century, doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it screams from the 80s. Got a nice ring to it. I guess Sidney Super who his theme
0: music. You got the power to let power go. Welcome back to an hour in the life with Charlie Bell. Today I'm speaking with Rob Bazzani, who is an Australian business leader. So Rob, earlier on we talked about uh, the benefits of having really great general knowledge, um, the ability for that to um, to help you build a great relationship with clients. Um, aside from the newspapers, what do you
1: what else do you read? That's a, a good question. Look, um, I try and huh, I hate to sound boring, but I, I often find if I, there was one magazine I'd, I'd recommend to any of our staff to read, it's The Economist. Mm. Um, just re- flip through that weekly; comes weekly because that's a combination of, of politics, social, literature, mm. um, business, that type mm. of thing. So I think in, in that one magazine, and I don't get me wrong, Charlie, I'm not spending hours reading it, flipping mm. through it. Um, I find that gives me uh, a good, no- a really good general knowledge base. And then, to be frank with you, I'll, I'll pick up any magazines um, uh, at airports or, or in news agencies just to flip through. And they could be everything from, from general magazines to, to travel magazines, things of interest that, that are likely or may possibly come up in a conversation. In our world, sometimes you've just got to be prepared for when the conversation's going to go um, left to field mm. uh, and, a, and a client throws you out a question that yeah. you know, he wants an opinion on.
0: So when you're not talking about business with senior, with other business leaders, what are some of the hot topics?
1: I always I never start a meeting um, quickly unless the client or, or the person I'm with wants to get on with it. I usually spend the first five five or six minutes uh, just building rapport, mm. um, asking them a little bit about themselves, uh, talking about sport, their family, mm. any of those sorts of things, and uh, and I just find. That, tr- that sets the tone tremendously. So hmm. um, I, I spend a lot of time doing business in India and in Asia, hmm. a, and a tip I've got for anyone, if you want to have a good meeting in India, you may not get the outcome you want, but if you want it to start off well, you start talking about the cricket. Uh, I 100% five, agree. Five minutes on the cricket uh, with uh, in, a, in a meeting in India on business, um, and you're building trust and, and you're building rapport straight away. Yeah. So um, so generally I'll, I'll aim to build rapport and, yeah. and try and get to know the person well um, mm. but I never go to a meeting not prepared so mm. um, and if it's for a client I generally and, and if it's a client of a public company I generally look for the latest investor presentation and the most detailed broker report um, to give me a, a sense of what the hot issues are before I'd go and see that that person.
0: Mm. I, um, I was just I did a personal trip to India earlier this year and I oh, 100% yeah. agree it's just instant rapport with any male
1: you want absolutely yeah
0: yeah so what are some of the little things that can make a big difference in someone's work performance
1: okay so um first and foremost uh, 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 like anything um it's it's working with team in a team and and sharing so if you're not if you're not sure about something or the quality of what you've produced um bounce it off someone Mm -hmm. um uh, uh, uh and try and get a, a second opinion on on something mm. um better to check it and, and take the extra time rather than rushing and getting something out the door that that's not quite right or into into a supervisor's hands and, and it's got got mistakes. So really just taking the time to double check and that goes to everything from emails. Mm. The number of emails I get from people sometimes that have just got typos in them. Mm. Uh, I just scratch my head and, and, and wonder and, and you know there's this fabled story about, you know, we spend we spend hours and hours preparing a hundred page deck for a client with an executive summary on page one. Page one is full of errors, mm. you know, with typos and it might even be a numeric error which is unforgivable. In our world, well, you might as well just get that hundred-page report and throw it in the bin yeah. at times, because your clients probably lost trust yeah. if you're not getting that first couple of pages right. So, so I think just trying to get things right, um, and um, and and consulting uh, your team members if you're not sure about something is is a critical step in terms of just tips for success in, in terms of going forward. Don't rush something out the door if it doesn't need to to be rushed out the door. Mm. Um, that's probably the biggest tip I'd have for someone starting off. Mm. Um, consult, 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 and, and remember you're working in a team. Yeah,
0: I think it's definitely true about um, how typos and um, design misalignments can really harm um, someone's trust in that, that piece yeah. of work that you've created. Like, for example, if, if you see a commercial and the design is all over the place, you're not going to trust that brand. Yeah. It's gonna it's it's gonna create
1: negative goodwill with that brand. Well, you'll wonder what else is wrong with it further down the track. Mm. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So there's just just those little things. As I sort of said, um, we all make mistakes. There's no doubt about it. We we, we make good de- more more good decisions than mistakes. If you're unsure about something, just just share it with a friend. Bounce mm. it around.
0: Uh, because we don't have much time yet left, I guess the rest mm-hmm. can kind of be speed questions. Sure. Um, if a young person just entering the workplace wants to be successful, do you suggest they focus on one subject area or one skill and become really good at that? Or do you suggest getting a variety of different uh, experiences? I think a
1: variety of different experiences. I, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, you know, the specialisation and the focus on one thing can come a little bit later. A, a younger person joining the workforce... To be honest with you, I, I think your first year is all about settling into the workforce, uh, mm. and I don't mean just technically. I I mean physically, mentally, um, the the number of hours a day that that you now no longer have, you mm. know, that you've lost from being a student, uh, t- to someone coming into the workforce, um, you know, you, it's good to settle into the workforce, and and also I think to understand the organisation you work for, um, that's probably one of the other tips, you know. Um, do you know who, who is your CEO and, and who's on your board of directors and who are the people that are managing the different divisions in your business? You may not know them, but do you know that about? Do you know who they are and do you know mm-hmm. how your business is structured and, and how decisions get made? And uh, and do you read when your business is in the media and what, what you're saying is business? It's all of those sorts of things. In, in understanding the organisation that you're now a part of is one of the, the things I think, um, people need to spend the first year or so getting to know. Um, once you get uh, uh, your skill sets and, and, and you get your rhythm with work, uh, I, I think it, it's an appropriate time to start thinking about the things that you're really passionate about.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: you're in our management consulting business, mm-hmm. I know that, but that has half a dozen different businesses mm-hmm. in itself. But I'd expect you, know, you to work out in the next year or two which of those divisions or so mm-hmm. which of those services would you like to go in as you get a little bit more experience under your belt and you understand what you like to do and what you don't like to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, With so much information becoming more and more freely available, uh, professional service firms can't rely on providing unique IP as they have in previous decades. Um, How's KPMG responding to this?
1: Well, um, I hate to say it, but uh, but I, I have a different view. I do think okay. we can continue to provide unique IP. Um, and okay. there What's is no, that? Uh, well, the, first and foremost, it's the technical skill set we'd have across any of our businesses, whether it's it's in our tax group, uh, in our uh, audit and risk assurance business. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of technical knowledge and skill uh, and experience and insight that our clients uh, are continually seeking hmm. from us. Um, yes, yes. There is a tremendous amount of information available and accessible uh, on the internet that you can find um, you know, with the push of a button, but, but how do you use that information to make significant decisions, where, particularly where there's a lot of capital responsible? So, um, I mean, our our drive is to convert that knowledge into value for clients. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think we're actually a very innovative organisation in the way in which we think and do things within the boundaries of which we we uh, we do, and and I think with that also comes a lot of creativity. Yes, tax advisors can be creative, management consultants can be very creative. It just mm. doesn't happen with people in uh, in advertising and mm. uh, and some of those skill sets. Um, but I think Charlie, um, like like anything, it's important in the first few years of your work to really. W- Understand and identify what you're passionate about, because uh, that's that's the area then that's the best serve to go into. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Final question before we play your last song and okay. get back to work. Um, what's an underlying philosophy or or ethic that you exercise regularly in your life and preach to others?
1: Wow, that's a that's a question that uh, that's that's full of things. Look, to be frank with you. Um, uh, it is it is a philosophy, uh, and it's not a business philosophy. It's to do unto others th- uh, as you'd like them mm-hmm. to do to you. Um, mm-hmm. And that that is probably a philosophy I've tried to adopt in the last several years. Certainly when I was the chairman of KPMG in Victoria, uh, it was more about trying to ensure that I could um, provide support and assistance to all of my partners and all of our staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that if you can do that, uh, the rewards come back to you tenfold. So. Um, that's probably the underlying philosophy of which I'm I'm working at the moment.
0: Oh, great! Well, Rob, thank you so much for coming on an hour on the life. We've I've My learned pleasure. so much, and I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of this as well. Um, so thanks again, and it's been a pleasure to interview you.
1: Thank you very much for thinking of me, Charlie, and uh, um, best of luck with the. Program going forward. Great, thanks very much. That's great.
0: So we'll play one last song. Um, okay, you've got two to choose from either Stan or Outside World.
1: Outside World by Midnight Oil off the 10987654321 album. All right. Very powerful song. Great, well, here it is, and thanks again. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you, mate.